Salam and welcome back everybody to our podcast, Unapologetic, The Third Narrative. Our original and authentic initiative in light of the war in Israel and Gaza. A platform where we will share our identities, views and experience from the ground. Brahim, I'm so proud of us. I know, we're recording a lot more now. Yeah, we're becoming uh, like super busy, I would have to say, with the, with the podcast, with, with guests. We're so excited. In a minute, we're going to introduce our current guest that we have today. It's going to be in a very interesting conversation. Um, very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> so how have you been? Uh, I've been good. You know, uh, I would say, you know, one of the things that caught me off guard was a siren that we had today oh, in yeah. Tel Aviv, which was, you know, something that uh, we haven't had in a month already. And, you know, at the day that now we're recording, depends on when we release, because we have so many things coming up for our audience. So you'll see uh, multiple episodes coming out. And actually, everybody's been asking us to release more. So we're obliging, guys. We're, we're releasing more content. <laughs> Ask we're bringing and you more shall podcasts, receive. <laughs> uh, episodes. And yeah, it's just been a challenging time just in general. You know, every day is a new challenge, I feel. What about you? How do you feel? Well, with our previous, uh, one of the guests that I don't know when we're going to release this was one of the guests in one of our episodes that we actually recorded previous to this episode was with a, with, uh, with a guest, with a shagger. And it was, it took me on a roller coaster, to be honest. Um, It's just sometimes so much happens in this small region in such a short amount of time that we sometimes forget like one one day for us is like a decade when one day is like an, an entire to be more realistic it's more like a week like we go through historical life-changing events all in one day and all in a very very small place and sometimes unfortunately we we forget about it and we're just like very much in in the now and uh, to get to remember and, and hear that some people are still like because we lived the 7th of October, we, we went, we like we were affected in the way that we were affected. But because we have kind of one foot in each side and because of what's happening right now in Gaza, that's what we're feeling right now. And we forget, I personally forget sometimes that there are some people that are living the 7th of October every single day. Not, be, not because they don't feel with the Gazans, but because they feel more, because it hurt them more. Um, and the, the recording with the Shagar kind of like reminded me that, like, yes, it's there's something ongoing, but it's the two pains are just wounds that are con- continuously bleeding. Yeah, you know, we... After that conversation with the Shagger, I remember, you know, first of all, you realize that it's it's not just, and you remember again that it's not just because, you know, we think in our heads about what's happening in Gaza and it's a long-term suffering. And then you put that into the context and it's, and it's, not, it's not the case. You, you talk to a Shagger and you understand from like how the tremendous and detrimental the the 7th of October and as you exactly said it they live it every day and the way that she spoke about it and the how difficult it was for her honestly i was i came, i got back home exhausted not just mentally like i physically felt the exhaustion from that and that was very difficult and today's a new day mm-hmm. alhamdulillah alhamdulillah <laughs> we have a new guest and here you can hear him already in the mic speaking. And uh, our guest for today, a very special one, is uh, Mansour Ashkar, who right. comes from the Druze community. And we will delve deep 
into what exactly that means. What is this secretive community that no one knows exactly about <laughs> the religion? And, uh... Just to clarify, for those who, uh, if we mumble on words, Druze with a D, not Jews not with Jews, a J. Druze, D R U Z E. Not Druids also. Oh, oh some people say really? Druids. Oh, I had conversations in the US that I spoke about my religion for like an hour. And then someone told me, so, wait a second, are you sure you're a Druid? And I said, like, I don't run naked in the forest and hugging trees, man. That's what you thought for the last hour. Druze, not druids. So yeah. yeah. Maybe we should pronounce it the Arab way, druze. 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 Our, uh, um, you know, it's a, an, another community, uh, one of the minorities that <clears throat> lives here. One of the mo one of the significant minorities, even though in numbers-wise, it's a small minority. It's a minority among minorities, yeah. It's a minority among minorities. And uh, today you live in Germany. That's right. Um, so I guess I will start with asking you the most basic question. How do you define yourself, Mansoor? How do I define myself? <clears throat> That's a good question. I define myself as a Arab-Israeli. Because um, that's into the world. When someone asks me outside, I tell them I'm an Arab-Israeli. Or I'll sometimes just say I'm an Israeli. But if they go deeper, I'm an Arab-Israeli. And for someone who knows a little better, I'll tell them an Arab-Israeli Druze. Because mm -hmm. most people don't even know what Druze is. Yeah. And it's interesting what you're saying when you say um, Arab-Israeli Druze. Hold mm -hmm. up. Let him continue. Is, it, is that it? Yeah. That, that was uh, straight to the point about the question. Straight to the point. Ah, okay. This is, you know, that's... And it's fascinating. It's already fascinating to me uh -huh. because, and, and this is part of the reason why, when I do the uh, speaking engagements and I talk about Arab citizens of Israel, I, you know, do another division because not all the Arabs are one box, and one of the Arabs is a Druze community, and that community has a different identity than ours. It has yeah. a different perspective on the state than us as a community. On a personal level, it can vary, but as a community, you know, I think one of the um, most significant and I would say uh, visible differences that we have between our community and the Druze community is that the Druze community has conscription. Meaning they have to serve and the, uh, they have mandatory service in the army. That's right. So their relationship already from the get go is a completely different relationship from our community to Israel. But honestly, a lot of times I felt a division of like, you know, Druze as Druze. But here you are, you're saying we're Arabs as well. Yeah, that's that's funny that you asked because <clears throat> I had some backlash from. Not a lot, but some Druze as well. What happened in Israel is, first of all, the Druze are Arabs. They, they came out of the Islam about a thousand years ago. They're part of the Arab community. If you walk into a Druze house, you walk into an Arab house. You know, it's the same thing. You know, the same food, a lot of the cultures, a lot of the hospitality and stuff. Different religion, different nuances, but it's an Arab community. However, in Israel, there is Druze that felt that they want to detach from that because of you know, let's say the bad reputation that the word Arab in Israel sometimes had the connotation. So, so you know, we're not Arab, we're Jews. But that's not true. He is Arab, he is Jews. So some people were not very happy when I was telling, yeah, I'm an Arab-Israeli, I'm a Jews. They were saying, you know, uh, we've been working for so long to detach ourselves from that image and now you're bringing it back. And then I just told them, listen, man, just go to Wikipedia and look <laughs> at it, you'll see part of the Arab, a small minority in the Arab 
world, kind of. You know, I don't remember exactly the Wikipedia definition. Yeah, because Druze are not only in Israel. They're in yeah. Lebanon, they're mm-hmm. in Syria. Mm-hmm. They actually started, uh, they left from Egypt uh, before, and then they moved to the Levant. So they are yeah. in this area spread in, in, in more than one place. Yeah, they started They started in like the area of northern, uh, the area of Turkey, I would say. And then they went down to Egypt. You know, if you want, I can delve a little bit like deeper. It's about always it. fascinating. No, sure. I also, I honestly, uh, on purpose, like, We'll delve into what our communities think of uh, later on, but I came to zero research. Zero. I'm here to listen for to, right. to hear from you. No so biases. we're here to learn. <laughs> when, when I introduce the Druze religion to friends, mostly outside of Israel, but also in Israel, I say Druze is a thousand years old New Age religion. So they started like a thousand years ago, and they basically came and said all religions are right. You know, uh, the Muslims got uh, Nabi Muhammad. He came to give them the word of God. The Jews had Musa, Moses, and uh, you know Abraham and, and Elijah, etc. The Hindus got Buddha, and they said like God came and spoke to everybody in a different way through different messengers, prophets, and all religions are right. So they're very tolerant and accepting to all religion. If you walk to a Druze village and you'll come and you say, I'm a Christian, Sidna al-Masih, they'll be super excited. Oh, we believe in him as well. You'll come and say, I'm a Muslim. Oh, we believe in, in, in Nabi Muhammad. And, and they will identify in some way with all religions. They went down to Egypt, they brought this new age religion. It was accepted for several years, but then it was not accepted because the question came and they said, wait a second, you guys believe in reincarnation? Yes, we believe that people reincarnate. Do you guys believe that prophets reincarnate? Yeah, of course prophets reincarnate. They so, can be. Whoa, whoa, you wanna say that there's a prophet after Muhammad? He's the seal red of the line. prophet. That was a red line, they were considered kuffar, and then they were persecuted. So then they had to flee to the northern side of Israel and Lebanon in Syria. And if you think about it, the reason they're living on mountains yep. is because that was the way for them to defend themselves. To protect mm. themselves. So exactly. they became, in one hand, farmers, and one hand, warriors. You know, they'll have a turiya in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And they started defending themselves, and they also closed the gates. You cannot become Jews anymore. You can only be born Jews. So in contrary to, I would say, Christianity and Islam, Druze is not a missionary no... religion at all. They okay. don't want to convert. You can't. Yep. Try as much as you can. You can't join us. So that's even more <laughs> than the Jews. The Jews make it hard to become Jewish today. The Druze, forget about it. Just can't. And also the, <clears throat> the main difference with the, with the Jewish uh, community, if, if your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. Uh, for Muslims, it goes by the father. For Druze, what's interesting, it goes by both parents. Yeah. You have both of you. Both pay- have to be Druze in order for you ah. to be Druze. So if one is not, you're not Druze. Yeah, yeah, they have some different rules about it. Like you can be half Druze, I think, and then if you will still marry a Druze, then your child will oh, be. Oh, so you're three quarters? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a funny way about it. You know, I'm not so sure about this. It's a secret religion. So a lot of the stuff, even the Druze themselves don't know. You know, unless you become a religious person and then uh, I have some kind of a monastery kind of attributes to it. You shave your hair because the hairs would make the man think about how he looks, and that's the vanity. Yeah. Uh, you wear these pants, it's not because they think the Messiah is going to come from the man. I heard that, you know, silly story. It's mostly modesty. Yep. You know, imagine back in the days uh, with Jalabiya, and then someone came with the jeans, and that was a very practical way to be a farmer. That's easier to work with the jeans, but the jeans shows everything, you know, the package and everything. So, like, let's keep the sharwal yep. inside. 
Which is a form of a skirt for those who don't know from our yeah. like a, a male uh, dress. Form of a skirt. Like a. It's um, it's, a it's like a baggy. Pants. It's a spread yeah. bag. Kind of, not to be offensive here, kind of like uh, to be superficial, like pirate pants. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I don't think I've seen like people walking with it in colors now. It became some fashion. Really? Yeah, yeah. In, in the like the hipster hippie. The community. hipster yeah, hippie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It became fashion. It made, made me just laugh. I was like that's religious druze. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the shirwal is also part of the traditional uh, wear of uh, Syrians, no? So they actually took, from what I know, they took different dress codes from different people. So when you see, because. As a Jew, you're very like you dress not like you know uh, uh, modern clothes, and then yeah. only if you decide that you're religious, yeah, it's like a decision, and then you <clears throat> change everything. Yeah, but then they took other elements. So for instance, the hat that they wear come and the uh, and you grow your mustache. You grow your mustache and you wear the you hat. You shave all your hair, but you yeah. grow your mustache. Yeah, you grow yeah. your mustache, and these are very uh, Ottoman symbols. Yeah. And yeah. they actually absorbed that from the Ottoman time. Mm-hmm. And it became part of the uh, the dress code, the having the tarbush, which is very Turkish, but now they owned it for a diff- in a different style of so dress. So wait, wait, wait. How how did the separation happen from, from Islam? We say that it's a, it's a branch of Islam, but how did the separation happen and how was it allowed to happen? So like I said, back then, I mean, that's to my knowledge. I studied in university a little bit about it and... I'm, I'm sure there's some Druze who will have different opinions about it. I don't represent all of them. For my knowledge is during that time, there were a lot of messianic religions going around, a lot of spirituality going in that region, and people were searching. And the people that started that religion, they basically compiled from different religions the thing that they identify, the thing that they like. Kind of, it was like a kind of a eBay shopping. Oh, I, I, I like it. Let's <laughs> take that part, yeah. Oh, I like that about Judaism. Let's take that. I like that about Islam. Let's bring that in. Oh, Christianity, that's pretty cool. Let's bring that. Oh, you know what? Hinduism, I like the reincarnation, but not so many about the holy cow stuff. We want to eat cows. <laughs> Let's keep that in. You know. So they took what they like and they created this religion. Theologically, the Druze will say that the religion existed you know, way, way back. It was just secret, hidden, and then revealed back then. But if you look at it historically, that's when we know it was presented to the world. And that's when they went down and they presented to the Khalif in Egypt, Hakim Amrullah back then. <clears throat> and he was known to be a very spiritual guy, but he was known also to be a guy that have jananas. So in the beginning, he liked what they did. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was accepted in Egypt. And then they flipped after, like I said, you know, the whole uh, issue. They were expelled the, from Egypt. They were that. expelled. They were persecuted. They were killed. And since then, they were basically surviving. And if you think about it, one of the interesting things, the Druze are not allowed to have a country of their own. It's in their religion. They're not allowed to have a government of their own. Okay. And you have the theological. Sounds familiar. Like I, f- I feel a few similarities from Judaism, no? Like Jews look Jews for a no, nation wait. state. The expulsions from Egypt. And oh, then, in that sense. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that sense, for sure. But yeah, that's very unique to them that they don't have self determination. Like they don't seek self determination. I think. But we- in, is, in Judaism, isn't that they don't? They shouldn't return that they had, and they. It's- divided also but even jews had twice a state of israel mm-hmm. in in the old uh, uh, so it's not that they sh- they they can't have it's the, okay they, okay, they they're not allowed to mm-hmm. have yeah. like the jews had it twice and then they were out of this area for a couple thousand mm-hmm. years okay. but for them it was it's like you no, never it's do it's not that. allowed the Druze are basically in, in the religion so the spiritual religion says that 
a government would lead to politics, politics lead to corruption, lead to started, you know, focusing on earthly things, and we're not. We don't want to have that. Uh, the, the historic reason, that's only my interpretation. Imagine that you're a small minority group, tiny, tiny one. They just want to live in peace. And you have this huge giant, which is the Muslim empire on one side and the Christian empire. And these guys are coming and colliding and fighting all over Jerusalem and just kind of destroying everything in their way. And then they come with the crusaders and then they take Jerusalem and this. So you're a small group there and just kind of raise like, hey guys, listen, I'm not an enemy of any of you. All I want to do is I want to work my land Respect me, I'll respect you. I'll tell you even more. My religion even tells me I'm not allowed to have a country and even tells me in my faith that I will serve loyalty, loyally any government who's above me as long as they respect us. <clears throat> so that's, I think that's a very beautiful thing about the Jews' religion, that they're very tolerant, very accepting, and also they're very non-threatening. They will not try to come and conquer you. Mm -hmm. They will not try to come and convert you. All they want to do is just let us live our life, let us work our land. You want tax, we'll pay you tax. You want different rules, as long as it doesn't go against our core religion, we're fine with that. And that's uh, like exactly <clears throat> why actually, uh, and you can see it especially in the army, like, right? Army is one of the places where you can understand uh, very um, powerful nationalist uh, perceptions and loyalty, right? So some of the highest ranking members in the army in Lebanon and Syria are all, are all Druze. Mm -hmm. It's very known that the Druze are very much like, even in the previous battles like Israel had, you would have a Druze on, on one side fighting a Druze on the yeah. other side. Yeah, that happened. But it's because <clears throat> each one is in his country and yeah. is loyal to his country. They're loyal to his country as long as that country respect them and not try to kill them. You know, they'll pay the tribute uh, to be part of that country. Mm. And which brought to your point, like when you said about similarities, one of the reasons that I feel that the Druze related very fast with the Jews that came here is because, you know, I, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but my enemy's enemy is my friend, you can call it. So the Druze were surviving under the Muslim empire and they were basically trying to kill them for all this time because they're kuffar, considered as part of the religion. So when the Jews came here, they were fighting as well with the Muslims. So they go, kind of, okay, you guys are fighting them, we got to fight them, we can actually be friends. So it was easier for them, but also the Druze have an easier way to adapt under different regimes because like I said, in the religion, they don't want a country. They just, you know, if you guys want to be the country here, fair enough. Promise to treat us well, promise to give us our rights. Okay, we'll pay our tribute. So it was easier for them to relate with the Jews here and to go and be uh, a very integrated part of the government of the country here. And now we're talking about more of the, you know, delving in deeper into today's society. Because, like we said, one of the main differences between uh, the two communities <clears throat> is that the Druze one uh, serves in the army, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which gives it a different integration, I would say, to the state. Because, like, it's very important that one of the biggest gaps I would feel that we have as an Arab community here in Israel with the Jewish one is that we don't meet. We never yeah. meet. We meet in in college maybe and if you think about it in college means 19 18 19 20 for an arab and and then 24 25 26 because they have the army, army. for jewish yeah. mm -hmm. but the the hub which the cultural hub same with the Jews. Uh, yeah same with same the Jews. Yeah. and yeah. the cultural hub that is established is in the army like that's where the the israeli society as a society was established even in at the existence like when the state started that's why they did conscription in the first place 
because that's where you create the Israeli society because mm-hmm. everybody's in one place. So when they're there, they're able to integrate with a society in a place where we're not there. Mm-hmm. The only answer is that we need to find other places to integrate <clears throat> as well. I think you hit it on the nail. You, you, you just really nailed the point that I, that I was thinking when I, when I was coming you know, to be interviewed. By the way, first of all, thanks for inviting me, guys. <laughs> you know, we jumped right into deep stuff. But it's I just wanted... how we are. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. very intense sometimes. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Really, when the war started, I got exposed to your podcast for the first time and I fell in love. I said, I really got to meet these guys because I feel that your voice is so unique and so important, especially through these days. Because just like you call yourself, you know, the, the third narrative, you're bringing a third narrative that is not almost unheard of, if I'll be honest. Like, I don't think I know. I mean, I know individuals here and there that will say it, but publicly going out, I don't know a lot of Muslims that you know are, are saying what you're saying that are trying to find a way that both sides can meet in the middle and i think that's just beautiful what you guys are doing um regarding what you said so yeah you know most people form their whole identity and then when you come to the age of 23 24 or 19 you already have your identity and you're already kind of if you're taught that the jews are your enemies then it's going to be very hard to change that at that age if you're taught that they you know they're not so nice so i don't know what so the druze It makes it easier for them because, first of all, we accepted our identity as Israelis from a very early age. You know, it's not if you go to a Druze village, you'll see as many Israeli flags and Druze flags, probably more than a Jewish city. They, they see themselves as complete Israelis. And I think that made it much easier for them to adapt to this culture and accept and also for the culture to adapt to them. You know, if you go in the street and, and you'll say you're a Druze. A lot of the Jews will just, oh, we love you guys. You know, you guys are brothers. And brothers in blood. Brothers in blood, yeah. Because they fight and die together. So exactly. that's the term they use a lot. Exactly. You are brothers in blood. We've been here together. Now, if you go to the street, you know, in some, let's say not in Tel Aviv, in some less progressive city, and you say, hi, guys, I'm a Muslim, you might get some Jews like, hmm, you know, not very happy. Same if he will go to an Arab village because they didn't connect at the age of childhood, I think. You know, as children, that Jew grew up thinking, oh, the Arabs. And that Arab grew up thinking, oh, these Jews. And then when they meet suddenly in university, they're not connecting as fast, I feel. So re- regarding to like w- what you said is that national service, if it's an army or if it's anything, I think it's so important. And, and you're like, I- I'm a Druze, I'm not a Muslim, but I think if the Muslims in Israel that see themselves as, you know, Israeli Arabs, Or at least identify we live in this country. This is a country. We don't want to live in Jordan. We don't want to live in Egypt. We want to live here. This is our country. If they will start doing some kind of a national service or some kind of a, something that will connect them to this country, they will have a much easier time to, to cross bridges. Hmm. So here's my thought on that. And then you can tell me what you think. My thought on that is that we, as a, as a, you know, from our community, a Palestinian-Israeli one, so we have a very mixed identity because we're also part of the Palestinian people, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine joining the army. I know. That's for sure. Um, you know, I, if I tell my grandma I'm going to the army, she'll get a heart attack. Like, my grandma <laughs> suffered in 1948, like, herself. So yep. that's out of the question and, uh, for a lot of people. But the issue then becomes because if you do national service, one, one of the issues why a lot of Arabs don't do national service because it's the word national. Yeah. So national, it already is like you're serving the state. And I already have a com- complicated relationship to the state, so I'm serving it now. Like it, it, it's very difficult. 
And the idea was maybe to change it to community service. But then the idea was... Yeah, that's how they recruit Arabs. They tried to change the name, but actually it didn't really work because it was already like placed as national service, even though... Like you can, and, and I'm, I'm all for doing um, uh, community service, community service yeah. because actually I have a lot of, like I have friends who said, you know, like for instance, um, working in kindergarten, a lot of the supporters to the kindergarten are people who are doing community service. Without them, the, the, the kindergarten would not even like function, would not survive. Mm-hmm. Let's just differentiate for a second the, between, between national and, and military yes. service. So military service is basically for, it's now two and a half years? Or is it two years? No, it's the, the, the military service is like three, but it's like counted by months. So it's yeah. like a whole... You can tell it depends more. if you're a combat soldier or not. But it but has yeah. changed recently. It's changed whatever. to two and a half, I think. Yeah, it, it's two. Uh, let's let's say it's three. Uh, and uh, feel free to correct us. On three this. and two. Yeah. Like also, like the women, women. have. A, have a, no, I think a, they made it equal. They made it equal. They made it equal. The really? Of the serving. That's what oh. I. It's 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 it's. It's changing. a work in the yeah, making. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, we okay, promise to check it. X amount of years. X amount of year. X amount of years. Um, community community service or national service is only one year. One year. Um, and the difference is basically this is like the military you have a uniform you represent the army um when it comes to national service or community service uh or let's call it what the, what they call it national mm-hmm. service national service is only one year minimum two year maximum i the way i understood is that it started because of uh, religious jewish women that wanted to serve the country but didn't find the uh, military service to be um serving their religion so mm-hmm. they that was kind of the the way there uh it's also a way for people that have disabilities to join to to serve their state um and for for arabs that uh, don't want to do military service to do national service that don't want to go that extra yeah. step um and it's for one year you can do it for two years what else am i forgetting the only- and there's no there's no like you don't wear a uniform you can yeah. do it it's, it does it does have it has nothing to do. you can be in the medical staff you can be in in an ambulance you can be a, te- a teacher's assistant you can work in a field in a farm like it's it's and like- you can do and that's one of the challenges that i was thinking about that you can do it in your own community which is great for mm-hmm. us yeah. Yeah, to yeah. strengthen our community but then at the same time we won't meet with the Jew- jewish community again yes so my place where i always <clears throat> wanted to see it more happening is in the school yeah is to have maybe sister schools uh, that the students in an earlier age to meet because the community or or national service is a place where you're just working like like for that purpose and maybe in your own community so you also won't meet that many Jewish people so yes but um one of and actually what you said about the religion is something that's important to mention also about the Jewish community that the men yeah I have. and the Jews community yes. serve in the army the women don't and the women don't the women do national service also um, because of the mandatory. not mandatory not okay. mandatory but they can do but they but like a lot of uh, people in the Jews community from the women also do mm-hmm. uh, community service and also for the cesarean chalkesi it's the same also mm-hmm. that only the men do the service and women usually do community service which is you know if i can come and emphasize how important that is for you know integrating in your country You know, when I joined the army, because all, all Druze men, you know, it's, it's mandatory. In my team was a Tel Aviv guy that was gay, few Ethiopians, few uh, religious Jews, few secular Jews. And these were people that I would never meet, especially with a gay person. <laughs> you know, that's like in my community. I would never, but now we became like brothers after two weeks. 
in, in, like you know sharing the, the the same uh equipment eating from the same places doing stuff you suddenly connected i remember like the first time we went out to like a an after party and we went out in tel aviv and one of my tel aviv friends he was wearing a thong you know i was like what <laughs> like where i live like we'd never see a guy the, wearing this community is it's important to mention it's very conservative community. very conservative more than know? our community oh, I would yeah, even yeah. Say. oh yeah we're far. liberal next to the Arab community. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, by far. Okay, we're going to talk now a little bit about um, our upbringing and what we thought about the each other. other, each other, the other okay. person. Um, how about, Ibrahim, would you like to start you as a person from, from Nazareth or let's say generally from up north? What was your impression and maybe take us through a journey of what was your impression from childhood? When, you, when did you actually meet the Druze person and now? So I was actually thinking about it before we went, met with Mansoor, trying to remember when I met the Jewish community. So there were two main incidents in my life, or three actually. The first one, when I was a kid, we had a Jewish family, uh, as Mansoor said, like they, they live in the, on the mountaintops. And that, that, we had a family that were friends of ours that we used to go to. And for me, it's... Whenever I go there, it's like I go to those people who live in heaven. <laughs> Literally, that was my perception. Oh. They live in the most beautiful, <laughs> yeah. next to waterfalls, <clears throat> like gorgeous area. That, that was my perception. Is I go to uh, you know our friends who are from different community. They dress differently. I was just aware of the visible different look. Yeah, you know the women also wear a, a scarf, but it's a different kind of scarf. Uh, and then the men, uh, that family also, the, the, uh, the, the, the father was also a, a religious uh, Jew. So he had the hat, the stash, you know, the, the long robe. And I was like, okay, these are our friends who have just, they're, they're Arabs from different community. That's how they dress. <laughs> and I just go to this little uh, spot of heaven to, to, to play. It's a peaceful life. And, and that was when I was very, very young. And all throughout my upbringing in Nazareth after that, because Nazareth doesn't have any Druze community, no. and we don't have any Druze village relatively close to us Not either. Too close. So I never interacted on a daily basis with anyone Druze. Mm -hmm. And the first time I ever did was actually when I was in high school. We had a like I was accepted to a scholarship to go to the U.S. in in eleventh grade. Um, so it was a group from uh, of different students from the Arab community in Israel. And it was our community. And also we had a few people who were from the Druze community. Mm -hmm. And then I started to talk to them more in person. And then I, I remember the first, um, you know, interactions and, and actually asking them about their community, about their culture. And I just, for me, it was like a... As, as a as a you know 10th grade or 11th grade I was like wow this is very exotic to me like this is so outside of what I know and it's so beautiful and it's so peaceful and um you know I remember actually when we went to the US there was one incident when we were it was us and every like it was from different countries around the Arab world the whole idea of this program was to change perception of Muslims and Arabs and minorities in the Middle East in the United States especially after 9/11. And you go and you live with an American family for a full year. And we did one round of introduction. And it was 500 kids from all over the Middle East. And they called each country. And they called mm. Palestine. So almost everybody from our group stood up too. <laughs> 
except the Druze. And then when we they said Israel, only the Druze got up. And maybe one or two others. And people started to ask them questions and why are you doing this and why is that? And like, you know, they had to like explain where they come from and why they see the state in a completely different way. It was that was like my first real exposure to it. And then when we got back, I remember one of them went to the army. And then I'm like, okay, wow, this is such a like a mind fuck. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like uh, I know you're Arab, but you're also in the army and like, you know, pictures <clears throat> and hugging with like your, your your friends from the army and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, this is so far from anything like we experience or know. Like it it felt foreign to me at that time. Like, and then the third incident was when I actually was working in the uh, the more northern part of the state. And there I actually worked with Druze people. I like literally lived with them and I would go, to, you know, I had Druze friends that I would go to their home. And so then I learned way more about what exactly a Druze is, what the religion is. We met with even with uh, religious figures who explained it to us, with the families. You start to learn also about some of the challenges Mm-hmm. And the conservativeness of the community that I was not aware of how conservative it is. Very conservative. Because I... They just, make the Jews look like they're very secular. <laughs> so I, for me, like, because, and I think this is kind of like, quote unquote, trick that also the Jewish people fall for, fall for in a way, is that the perception is because I met two Druze men. They were very liberal. They were very outgoing. One of them had a piercing, this and that. So you're like, okay, this community is like relatively uh, secular. But then years later, when I actually like met with the community more deeply, then you realize that it's not the case and that it's a very patriarchal community, like very much so. And, And I think that happens a lot to the Jewish community because they meet the Druze men in the army. Mm-hmm. So the perception is like, and, and the Druze men mm. tend to be very, you know, in the army, they, they're just like any other Israeli in the army. You know, some of them would have tattoos, some of them have piercings, some this, some that. And uh, th- some of them would go out with Jewish girls. I don't yeah. know if we should say that, you know, because the, the <laughs> Druze com- relig- community is very strict with these things, but, but that also happens. So the perception becomes that, you know, it's a very liberal community. And I'm like, um, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> it's a very no, patriarchal. No, like, I, I had a few, I would call it slaps in the face that I realized how not, you know, liberal. Actual like, slaps in the face? <laughs> no, surprisingly, no, but it was very close. Like, you know, if, if I can cut into yes, your story. Please. I had a friend. Uh, I was in the army and I had a friend. She was a Jewish Russian friend, very good friend of mine. And she wanted to see my village. So I brought her to my village and my grandfather came out and he was a very respected religious man. And he took us around with his Jeep to the, to the, um, Zayt, how you call it? Zayt. Uh, oh, to the, to the olive branch. To the olive tree, you know, the land that he had. And he showed us how, you know, you take the olives and he took us to the house and he treated her like literally like you treat a queen. And then he came and he drove her with me to the bus station. We waited for her to go on the bus. She went and then he turned to me and he said, he said something like this. 40 something years I've been in the army and I've never brought a non-Druze woman to the village. That's the last time that you do that. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like this. And he walked away and I'm like, wow. That was like, but for him, I'm not married. She's not married. We're walking together. That's mm. can be the gossip in the village can go ballistic. You know, oh, Mansoor is now married to a Russian girl. <laughs> I don't know what. So he told me like 40 years. I have many Jewish friends, but I never brought a woman by herself to the village. That's the last time you do that. 
So that's like how conservative they are. Yeah, I remember even like one time in my old job, we were going to, uh, you know, buy stuff for the office. Mm-hmm. And we had a Drew's uh, woman who was working with me. And it was she was going to go get them. Like it was like her job to go get some things for the. And I'm like, okay, like there's a lot of things to bring. Mm-hmm. It's going to be heavy. Like, let me help you. Like, we'll go together. She said, no. <laughs> you can't get in the car with me. I was like, no. What do you mean? Like, absolutely not. Like man. we're working. Like we're not. <laughs> like, when when you just when you tell this safety. story when when you tell this story, I feel like it's one oh one, one oh one conservative woman. Like it's one oh one. You don't get into the same car. Yeah, she would not have me in the car. And actually, then I learned that specifically in her village, which was like one of the most conservative Druze villages, Kisra. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of the most religious villages. Most women don't drive. They're not, they don't allow them to drive, like, culturally, which was... My mom me, doesn't even wow. want to drive. Again, I don't understand how this is a shock. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't understand how this is a shock. It just comes hand in hand with oppressing women. I'm sorry. It comes hand in hand with religious, conservative people and how they how, how they treat women. Look at Saudi Arabia and the and women driving. It became new, only, like, only recently. I know, but, uh, like, when, yep, yep. when you think of women not driving, the first thing you think about is Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Arabia. Well, either, like, previously. Right. Um, there are also villages in the West Bank where women are not allowed to drive. I 100% agree with you. Um, like, it's... But here, here's how it caught me, uh, I would say, surprised. Because, you know, my part of my family comes from a village, and it can be relatively conservative in a way. But in these things... It wasn't. No, the Jews are more conservative. Like in these things, it was okay. Like people are going to the work together. Like it's not. It's not a question here. Like that's not what is gonna you know collapse the world. Is if she went in the car with a coworker for something for work. Yeah, the very conservative. Other things. No, it's like it's it's like like I couldn't imagine that someone from my village would would tell me that or would tell someone other. Like that's why I was like, oh wow. In 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 Islam, the the saying is, um, I don't know if this is a hadith or not, so I'm not gonna even say. And I'm sorry if I'm saying it in a false way. But مَشْتَمَ عَرَجَلٌ وَأُنْثَى إِلَّا وَكَانَ ثَلْثُ الشَّيْطَانِ أَوْ مَا الشَّيْطَانُ ثَلْثُهُمَا. So if a man and a woman like are are alone together, the third person is the devil. Yeah. And that's the wiswas. That's the person. That's the 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 that's the 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 bad thoughts that they're gonna do something. And a car is very intimate. So yeah, it's just like I don't know. It's just for me, like thinking about my community and even the conservative part of it, which was interesting, because I you know I I talked about it with a friend from Osafia, mm-hmm. which is a, a city, a Druze mm-hmm. city, and it's you know he would like. So he would tell me, oh, like some of the villages are more conservative. We're much more liberal and all these things. I was like, okay, great. And then I remember that he, um, his sister was going to go to university. I was like, oh, where she's going to go? Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. He's like, what are you kidding? He's going to go to Haifa. I was like, but she is in Haifa. Like, doesn't she want to go somewhere different? like, no, no, no. You like, you would stay where the family, like close to home. And that is not the case for the Arab community. Even very conservative villages. Some people go to Jerusalem. People go to Tel Aviv. Like maybe Tel Aviv becomes like because of the connotation of Tel Aviv. But people go to Jerusalem all the way to the other side of the country. Like yeah, it's women, very rare. it's different. Like, it's very you know, rare. I think in general, like you have to stay in the community. Yeah. I think in general, in the Arab culture, they're very protective over women. I would say overprotective. The Druze take it to like an Olympic level. <laughs> to Olympic <laughs> like level. a little bit more protective than that. People of Hebron can compete with you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. She would know. Maybe, no. But for me, you know, I never really agreed with that too much. Like, I, I, I felt it was unfair. 
I felt it was unfair that I, as a man, can do so many things and my sisters are not allowed to do it. Can you express a little bit, a few of those examples, maybe, like that you saw? Um... Education-wise, for example, that really bothered me. Well, what do you mean that I can go study wherever I want and my sister can't? You know, I told her, this is bluntly discrimination. You can't come and say, you know, so yes, there's a lot of, you know, cultural protection, also like family pressure. If something happened to her, I can start like a whole, like, you know, family war. Kind of, so they want to avoid that. But dress codes. Uh, hey, tell, tell me a little bit about that. I don't know about the dress code for so, women. So he, here's an interesting thing. Druze women are very modest in their dress code. And also they don't wear earrings. Yeah. Or, There's no or, earrings. Or rings. Like one time or was, rings. Yeah. Or rings. Rings. I yeah. didn't know. They earrings, don't have uh, wedding rings. They have necklaces instead of wedding rings. I almost made my mom faint on a family dinner. I was in Africa with a friend. We were building a school and an orphanage on a, on a, for a village, on a tribe there, you know, in Uganda. Wow. And when I went to the market there, there were so many beautiful earrings and, and rings and all. And I like bought my sister's earrings. I forgot that I was Druze for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in this whole So Africa. infatuated by the culture. Because I was culture. in Africa, they dressed me with African outfits and I was dancing with them, you know, and I was like, wow. And I want to, like, I want to bring this to my sister. It's beautiful. And I came and I brought. And everybody. also, honestly, you're 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 a man. You're not gonna remember this. Exactly. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair you're enough. not gonna remember this. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. So I came and I brought my mom some plates and I brought my brother some, you know, kind of a drum uh, from Africa and I brought my sister and I opened like a and I said hello and I came behind and I brought earrings and my mom was like. <gasps> she started like almost fainting and my sister looked at me like, "Are you stupid?" <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> like, okay. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> so yeah, they're very. This is what other women told me. Other women like yeah. <laughs> it's the Jews. <laughs> no, no. So then I had. Uh, so when we were in Elat, one time we went to a wedding in the village, and I remember talking to my sisters and telling them, "Okay, remember, you know, it's a village. You need to dress very modest." And of course, of course, they were the most modest girls in that wedding because the Druze did evolve and went so they were dressing more you know I won't say like you know um, slutty no but when, not. when we say when we say modest just so our listeners understand modest covering your hair or modest covering oh, the no, knees no. covering the, the you like, what will does barely see mean? a Druze woman in the village walking with a miniskirt absolutely not like I, I don't think I ever saw that pants Pants, yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, okay. many, many pants, tight jeans, or, you know, they, they dress normal. They dress very nicely and modern today. Covering the hair? No, uh, no, no, no one expected okay. to do that. So in that way, they're very open, but they will not, like, wear pants that you can see the underwears through uh -huh. them. They will not, you know, uh, wear a shirt that, you know, you can see everything, you know. So, so like, so like, just to be superficial, Christian modest? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, very similar to that. So no, no sex appeal? <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, what do you mean by that? Like, not the intention of being. Um... Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, they won't. That's not accepted. Like usually, mm -hmm. again, sex before marriage is unaccepted in mm -hmm. the religion. Oh pff, yeah, it's like a huge no, no, a huge no. Oh, this this description of 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 women and what uh, is giving me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry, Amira, but you know that's actually the reality, unfortunately. Hey, in, in general, the whole Arab world, if you ask me, need to evolve when it comes to women. Like, you know, in the 21st century, I'm sorry, many people might not like to hear that, but we need, we have a long way to go. You understatement. Know? Yeah, understatement. We have a long, we have a long, long, way, long to way to go. go. And, you know, I think in Israel, we're probably doing a little bit better than, you know, 
I was in Jordan, for example, and I, I think I'm the first Israeli ever to walk all of Jordan. I completely hiked all of Jordan before they started the Jordan Trail. I was part of the team that actually, I would say in a way, built the Jordan Trail because I was helping him put the root rooms so other backpackers behind me. And yeah, you know, we, we, we were hosted by amazing Bedouins that opened their tents for us. But you can see, like, he have four wives. They're behind a curtain. They would like looking through the hole at us. You can't talk to them, you know. So I, I was. That's a very. That's a very specific. Uh, like not all of Jordan is like. No, that. of course not all Jordan. But I'm saying there is quite a lot of that in the Arab world. Mm. There is quite a lot, you know, and the government just lets it be. You know, if you ask me, they should really push for equality, for education. To in the big cities, you'll see it differently. You go to Amman, you go to big cities. Actually, you go to Beirut, it's different. But in the rural areas, rural areas, it's still biblical times. And Bedouins here in Israel, same. I they think. have uh, multiple wives and all these like things, and especially like also the Bedouins here are very different. Like uh, the Bedouins in the north are more um, urban. Mm -hmm. They have their own towns. In the south, you have the big city of Rahat, but then you have all of these smaller little villages and also some people who are still, uh, I would say, semi-nomadic. Mm -hmm. And then they also have very, very like strict rules that are also more strict than the rest of the Arab community here. Yeah. It's... I would say in, in the Druze community in Israel, it became very accepted now. You know, Druze women go to university, they go study, they get degrees. You have lawyers, you have architecture. You know, I, I know a few Druze women that live in Tel Aviv and work, you know. They're badass when they're yeah. like, you know. Uh, they're There's really... a really cool girl that she's like a badass architect. You know, she's building like scrape towers and, and et cetera. So that's in, in my in my eyes, that's a huge, you know, progress. And, and I really hope that this will keep going. You know, they become role models for younger girls to want to be independent and successful in the world. But still, we have a long way to go, hmm. like I said. Long I will way. bring us back a little bit to the yes. conversation because <laughs> I know like it. we delved on, on women issues and we can go on for hours. <laughs> We're talking, talking about, about how we got introduced about, to each other's yeah, religions. Jews, women, we can talk about that specific yeah. topic. Is like, uh, it's, a, it's a Pandora box. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, but yeah. I will want to like, you know, talk about other things as well and ask you, Amira. When was the first time you were introduced to even the concept of Druze? Uh, the first Druze you've ever seen or met? Uh, where? Especially being uh, raised in East Jerusalem. It's a completely different dynamic mm -hmm. than ours. For us, you know, it's either they're in the surrounding villages, because some of the Druze live in their own villages, and some live in mixed uh, towns, like uh, Schwammer, that mm -hmm. has... Uh, Arab, uh, Arab, Bedouin, Christian, and Druze all live in the same uh, city, even though they're segregated to neighborhoods. But the Druze are part of this, the society, the community, the overall community. There are no, like, it's not, uh, there's no Druze community in Jerusalem. So this, the, no. the people that come to Jerusalem is very specific. Mm -hmm. So can you talk so, about yeah, that? Yeah, sure, sure. I would like to even add, if that's okay, like, were you afraid of the Druze or maybe angry at them or like the community that you lived in? Oh, she'll tell you everything, don't worry. No, no, yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you everything. Good. <laughs> um, it's, okay, so um, I came, like me and my family came back from the States. I was about like six years old when we came back. And um, like like I described in, in episode two, um, I feel like I we, everyone who's in East Jerusalem we're not exposed to the rest of Israel. Like we're not exposed to the rest of Israel. That includes uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel or Arab citizens of Israel. Um, 
and uh, that includes uh, Jews that are Jews that are not uh, that are uh, like secular Jews. Like we see the Orthodox uh, Haredim, we see um, a police officers, we see um, soldiers. A, soldiers, and um, maybe staff at the bank, staff staff at the uh, like medical staff, and that's it. And usually we confine to the uh to east jerusalem the bubble of east jerusalem and that was the case for me as well um i the same way you said that they lived in heaven because it was on hills when i like my uh my aunt on my mom's side is married to someone who uh lives up north and i never had a concrete like what what does that mean up north what does that mean like i always imagined like kind of up to date. I always imagined kind of like an Arabized West Jerusalem up north. That's what hmm. I imagined because I knew that you you speak you spoke Hebrew, you were more integrated in their society. Da da da. da. When it came when it comes to Druze, um I remember I think my me or my mom or my sister um got I think a, a ticket, like a driving ticket. And uh, we don't we don't speak Hebrew like uh, I'm teaching myself still, um, and we were struggling, and then the person like was like kind of fed up with us struggling, and he just switched to he to to Arabic, and <laughs> then I was like, what? It was like error four or four in my mind. It's like hold up, <laughs> why does he speak Arabic? And then and uh, I remember I asked my mom, and um, and. There was another occasion where during Ramadan where you go pray at Al-Aqsa and there's like the kind of like the Aqsa uh, checkpoint checkpoint where you, they need to check that you're Muslim and whatever. And usually the people there speak Arabic, like the, the soldiers there speak Arabic. And that confused me also because during Ramadan when you want to go pray in Al-Aqsa, and then I had so many questions and I asked my mom, it's like, who, like, why do they speak Arabic? And my mom, and, and and I asked so many questions and I came to the conclusion that, okay, they, they are either um, um, Jew, Jews, Jewish people, that uh, Jewish Israelis that learn, learn Arabic because they're in the intelligence uh, force, they're like in Mukhabarat um, or Mustaribin, like, that make themselves look like Arabs, um, or they are traitors of uh, traitors. Um, and, and traitors were the Jews, I guess. Or they are traitors. Traitors, I would, like from the Arabs, who yeah, are yeah, traitors. Yeah. Who ah, are yeah, traitors. Yeah. And then I would ask more questions, and then I came upon the word Druze. And then I was like, who are they? What are they? Um, and um, I would get the, the answers of, they're not actually Arab. Um, they are, they're not Muslim. Um, they and the, and they're traitors. That those are the the questions that I, that those are the answers that I got. Um, and I never actually like met an actual person. And up until now, I don't have any Druze friends. Hmm. I met like a Druze uh, through uh, a program, but we're not. It's not like someone that mm -hmm. I call once a week or even once a month. But it's like someone that taught me about kind of like the the that they can't pierce their e their ears, that they can't eat mukhiyeh, that <laughs> yes. they yep. they cannot eat they cannot. Yeah. in Israel. 
In Syria, they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In Israel, they can. Um, so the, these kind of what's melchia in 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 English? I don't know, but they believe like it's, it's like some spinach. kind of. It's not, but it's not spinach. It's not exactly spinach. So it's it's a plant. It's a plant that you make like. Sp- it looks they like spinach. They say that it's a natural Viagra. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, yeah. Um, um, aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah, that's why they don't so want to. For aphrodisiac, you can't consume things that get you aroused. It's very tasty, and it never got <laughs> it never got me aroused. Oh God! It just, you know, my mom is gonna faint right now. But hey, my Syrian relatives in Germany, Druzir, we went to their house and they prepared nuchi for us. And I said, out of respect, I'm not gonna not eat it, and I didn't get aroused. <laughs> it was just very tasty. Um, so those are the those were the the answers that I that I got, and up until this day, it's an extremely tough idea for me to wrap my head around that it's an an Arab, which in my mind, an Arab in Israel, a Palestinian, um, to serve in the Israeli army. I can understand shirut lumi national service. Sabab, I can understand it. You're giving back to your own community. Um, that can be the Arab or the Palestinian community. But when it comes to 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 uh, to military service, when I see someone in that uniform speaking in Arabic, it shatters me. It really does shatter still me still today. still to this day, uh, especially in the in the times right now. I remember I remember my mom would tell me, Uh, whenever I was like, oh, but what if I had a Jewish friend? Or what if I like had an Israeli friend? Um, like she would tell me that that's fine. They can come. She was even okay with them coming to have dinner and lunch with us and to eat on the same table. But she would always tell me, Amira, if there was war tomorrow, she would tell me if there was war tomorrow, it would mm-hmm. always be you against them. And she's not wrong. We see the sentiment right like right now between between people. We feel it that it's Arab against Jew, that it's Arab against Israeli. I still feel it. Uh, even from the way that people are talking, the way the politicians are talking, that's like people like I, I feel that it's that I feel it's that it's a sad there is kind of a sad truth to it that we because of the lack of understanding, because of the the the, the ignorance gap between our identities. Um, that there is a truth to it. But to go to go back into that, like the yeah, uh, the 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 serving, um, whether that was a police officer or or a soldier, I, I think to unpack it, you uh-huh. know because what we said here is things that are you know, I'm aware of, and I've heard them. and I've heard them from the other side because I served in the army. I got called traitor many times, uh, especially by Palestinians, <clears throat> mostly, less by uh, you know Arab Israelis. But even for them, many times very difficult. But l- let me ask you a question. I mm-hmm. mean, you get a liberal experience when you live in Israel, like as, as an Arab, as a Jew, et cetera. And that experience will not exist if the army wasn't protecting us around, because then Israel would be probably conquered by some other you know, Muslim countries that don't want Israel to exist. And then it will become an extension of Jordan or Egypt, or I don't know what. So... Understanding that, don't you feel a little bit sometimes, okay, I'm glad that Israel have the army to protect? Because you're living in Tel Aviv. You're living in a very secular city. You know? So I guess you are enjoying some of these privileges that comes with a secular city. You can walk in the street, dress however you want, and in Tel Aviv, no one would care. In some Arab countries around, you won't be able to, to live like that as a woman. So there is fruits 
to living in a democracy, mm-hmm. in, a, in a non-religious democracy. There's a lot of debates about that, but in general, Israel is a not religious democracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have, you can open that discussion, but it's more, it's closer to, being in Tel Aviv is closer to being in Berlin than to being in Cairo, mm-hmm. in, in that aspect. So don't, aren't you thankful that there is soldiers, doesn't matter if they're Jews or Arabs, that are actually sacrificing their three years of their life, maybe even their life, I think this will be a perfect place to stop this discussion right here. Don't worry, you will get to hear Amira's answer, because if you know Amira by now, she has a few things to say about it. Um, but I think that, you know, this episode has been so long and we talked about so many things, and we honestly decided to cut the discussion with uh, Mansoor to two, and uh, to have it in two episodes because there's so much depth into this conversation and we haven't even delved deeper into the Israeli dilemmas, the Druze relationship with the state of Israel, the discrimination that they face despite them serving in the military, you know, being so um, proud of their Israeli identity, but they still face discrimination in this country. And we're going to talk about these challenges that they face in the next episode. So remember... At the end of the day, all of us, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Jews, everyone deserves better.